So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So now I encourage you to grab those Black Pew Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians, page 1210, as we're going to begin reflecting on this book of 1 Corinthians. So for some reason, this book has just been continually popping up for me. Something about this letter to a church in the midst of many struggles has been catching my attention, and believe me, that's not a commentary on you by any means, but I went through it personally, and then we started going through it in our men's Bible study at Bernie's on Friday mornings, and then now it's coming up in the regular readings of the church. And usually when something like this happens, it's God kind of pushing me to reflect more and more on, on what's going on. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be reflecting on Corinth and seeing what's happening there, seeing where they're struggling, where they're succeeding, seeing how Paul is leading them, how he's encouraging them, seeing the, the solutions to all their problems. And I think the, the coolest thing is seeing how relevant all of this still is. So some background info. Here's a map. It is the country of Greece, and that little red dot there is where the city of Corinth is. Now, it's in a very strategic place. It's along the coast, so it is a port town, so you're going to have a lot of trade there. And for the Greeks, it was an important town as it went from Athens to the many other uh, cities along the, this kind of peninsula thingy. I don't really know what you would call that. But anyway, it is an important trade hub for these people. And of course, when Rome comes along, all they do is just take over what the Greeks set up. And so it's an important place for them as well. But also for Paul, as we look in Acts 18, it's important for him too because this is one of the places where he starts a church on his second missionary journey. You can see he starts all the way down there in Caesarea, then Jerusalem, then boop up into Tarsus, into that uh, the province of Asia with modern-day Turkey, then up into Macedonia, and then down into Greece, finally into Corinth. And there he finds uh, some of the, the more famous names that we hear of, right? Priscilla and Aquila he meets in Corinth. They're tent makers together. We then also hear where Paul brings together a community of believers and starts a church. But yet Paul is not the kind of guy that can stay in one place for very long unless he's in prison, let's be honest. But Paul wants to keep moving and keep planting and keep building up the church wherever he can. And so Paul keeps going. And as he's going, somebody comes along the way and says, hey, there's problems brewing in this Corinthian church. Now, Paul first visits Corinth in about 50, AD 50. And so about five years later in AD 55 is when he starts addressing these problems. So there's five years of all these Christians coming together that there's problems that are starting to happen. They're facing some serious issues. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at all these issues. But today, we're going to start with their first major problem, which is unity. Now, the opposite of unity is division. And as per usual, Nancy does a better job explaining it than I do. As she shows you, the value of a dollar is valueless if it is divided. But you know... It's, it's a strange thing that happens when you put a group of people together. When you put a group of people together, just by their natural differences, you find that there's going to be division, right? 
Even when like-minded people are pursuing the same goal, they still end up at each other's throats somehow. We have these petty rumors, these squabbles, these arguments, and all these like just seem to be getting into all of the problems. The one that, that I notice is you go on the internet looking for people who have a hobby like you, like-minded individuals again, and you find the same thing. So my hobby is collecting vinyl records. My, my dad got me started when I was a kid, and we were listening to records like Raffi. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. But the other one you might be familiar with, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, these are all things that my dad introduced to me. And so now, as he got me started, I have continued to collect records. And so I go online looking for like-minded people to, well, maybe there's a cool store, maybe there's a great sale going on, or hey, this new store opened up on the internet, you got to go check these guys out, they're just the best. But as I look at all these places, boy, am I doing everything wrong. Everything wrong. The, the record player I have, no matter how much money I paid for it, is going to destroy the records that I own. They're going to be unplayable. Not to mention unplayable, well, you're listening to the, the records through these speakers, which are just absolute trash. I wouldn't even go into a trash can to pull them out. And you paid money for them? Whoa. And then, the way that you store your records, oh, the, those things are going to be destroyed in a matter of days. It's ridiculous. And it's for some reason, when we get together in groups like this, there's always silly things that, like this that happen. But for these people who are bringing up these points and bringing in these divisions, this is life or death for some of them. You have to do it their way or else you're wasting your time. And that's what's happening in Corinth. Uh, of course, it's not with records, but with the faith. As we read today in, in 1 Corinthians in our reading today, we have all these people, uh, verse 12 there, uh, chapter 1, some of you are saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow Jesus, or I follow this guy. Well, I don't do it like this because Paul says we have to do it like this. And so if you're doing it like that, then you're wrong. We have to do it like this. This is the only way to do it. And Paul is coming in here saying, knock it off. Stop doing this. This is not how any of this works. You're being split over trivial things. It's interesting how Paul is even coming in here saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you, because then you guys would be going, well, I was baptized into Paul. And it's just this division is, is happening. And, and Paul seems, you can, you can hear the frustration in his words as he writes this letter. But really the thing that hurts me, as I said that this letter is still very relevant to us, and we still do this exact same thing. This, this letter holds up a mirror to us saying that we do the same things. I follow Luther. I follow John Calvin. I follow the Pope. I follow my pastor. I follow what my grandmother taught me. Even in our own congregation, we're not, we're not immune to this. I, I follow Pastor Eifert. follow Pastor Clater. I follow what Pastor Rieger says. That we, we divide ourselves over those sorts of things. And so if these divisions are going to exist in the one holy Christian and apostolic church as we confess in the creeds, how in the world are we supposed to unify? 
Well, firstly, the, the, the big thing that we have to get a good understanding on is the difference between unity and uniformity. We have misdefined the word unity. See, in our world, there, there are so many places out there that say that we have to be uniform. That's how we unite, is by being uniform. Where everyone is the same, we are blind to any small differences out there. If you read articles out there, you will see that people are ignoring the natural differences between men and women. The simple differences between a person who is short and a person who is tall. And it's, it's such confusion that lines are getting blurred and people are getting hurt and it's leading to more division rather than the unity that we seek. We have put people into such uniform categories that people just become another face in the crowd. One that I, I get frustrated with is seeing so many schools out there, thankfully not ours with, uh, with the ways that we have, have done things, but so many schools out there, it turns into like a factory to just produce students, to just graduate students out. And so they're all in the same categories, and they're no longer being taught as individuals and, and grown by their, their skills and abilities and, and whatever, it might, whatever else it might be, but they're just being fit into a box, and once they fit into that box, then they can graduate. Unity focuses on the individual, on these differences, and uniformity focuses on, well, we're all exactly the same. But it's not how God has designed the world. If God had designed the world as such, we would look uniform. God has designed us with, with specific talents, to be in a specific time and place, to be with a specific people, each of us being equipped massively differently, but not for us to compete, but rather to be unified. See, I, I was looking at this and I was thinking, it's a lot like a puzzle. When we look at uniformity, uh, you have a puzzle piece that's just a square. And you put all those squares together to, quote, complete the puzzle, but really it doesn't matter if this square is over here or if it's over there. And sadly, it doesn't even matter if you have those pieces or if you lose them. That's not how God has designed us to fit together. It's really more like a jigsaw puzzle. When you have a jigsaw puzzle, you have a whole bunch of different pieces that fit into their specific spot. And each of these pieces is unique and creates a much grander picture. This is the concept of unity that we want to strive for. United as so many different people, so many different pieces to this one puzzle. And what if you have a puzzle and you've been building it, let's say, for just weeks. You got one of those big, ridiculous puzzles. And you've been trying to figure this out for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you're missing one piece. It ruins the whole picture, doesn't it? That's how God has designed us. He wants all of us together, unified, making this beautiful picture. But then think of it also like this. When you're building a puzzle, how do you do it, right? You've got the box lid sitting right there in front of it, and you're watching the picture and putting the piece in the right spot, right? And I, with... Uh, not trying to be subtle in any ways, use scripture right in front of us because this is our box lid for our puzzle. This is what tells us how to make that grand picture, how to, how to make the complete picture of the puzzle. 
And the picture that we hold in front of us, we look to 1 Corinthians 26 through 31, where Paul is addressing all of these people in Corinth going, you guys are very different from all these different backgrounds, all these different abilities and intelligences, but God chose you. He chose to save you from your sins through the dying and rising of Jesus so that you would be elevated, that, that he might rejoice in you, in who you are, as you unite together as the church. You didn't do anything special to receive this. You didn't know anything special. But this was brought to you by the apostles through the Holy Spirit so that you might believe and be saved. And then after being saved, be united as a diverse, massive body of believers to be unified together with all your varying talents and gifts to then be a part of all those sinners who are united <clears throat> in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not a bunch of people who deserve it, not a bunch of people who did the right things or were a part of the right people group anymore. Because this used to be just for the Jews, but now it is for all people. Where people of all walks of life are united in salvation and faith. And it's in this exact same thing that we still unify. It is astounding to me how relevant this letter still is. You know, there's so many letters of Paul, and I don't mean to speak ill of the word of God, but they're, they're more generic more just, this is what happens on the path of a believer, and this is how a believer should live. Many of Paul's letters are like that, but Paul's letter to the Corinthians is really set for a specific time and place. But yet again, it just astounds me how, how it still fits. And I pray that the words of 1 Corinthians strike your hearts as it struck mine. Because when I read a lot of this, I think about my, my journey of faith. Now, there was a long time ago where I felt this silly superiority because I was a part of the LCMS. I know a lot of brothers uh, that I went through in seminary thought the only way that you could ever possibly do church was in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. But as I grew in my faith, I saw God's hand everywhere. I went to the, the Greek Orthodox Church for a little bit, and I learned that uh, they shout constantly, Christos Anasti, which means Christ is risen. I went and listened to some Baptist preachers. Saw them just amazingly just open up God's word and begin preaching Christ crucified and resurrected strictly from Scripture. Went over to some non-denom churches and saw the joy and the, the beauty of just brothers and sisters living together as saved Christians. Went over to the Catholic Church just to see the, the amazing way that God has worked through history. That that church has been proclaiming Christ crucified and risen throughout the ages. It's in all of these churches that we unify around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's false teachers around there. But it is around this, the word of truth, this joy that we have in our salvation, that we unite in the fact that there is a lifeless corpse hanging off of a cross, but also 
folded linen cloths in a tomb where no body is found. Because in our church, what we believe, teach, and confess is something called the invisible church. Now, the visible church is what you can literally see right here. We are in a building called a church. We are around people. We are sitting in pews. We have an organ, right? These are all little marks of the church. But in the invisible church, it is all those who believe and confess Christ as Savior. Now, as we grow in the faith, we know that we need to seek the Word of God. We know that we need to seek the sacraments So where we are unified around these things that God has given us. But it is really in this invisible church that we are united. It's not just in Lutheran churches. It's in all denominations. And really it's not just in all denominations. I would wager that the Spirit is even at work in the synagogues and in mosques. As we are all uniting around this Jesus who we read in our gospel lesson, who calls people and who heals the sick. And not even just earthly afflictions, but eternal afflictions of sin. So as we continue to go on in 1 Corinthians, I want you to see how we are to strive for unity. And this is a very daunting task. How in the world can the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church unify together? But that's one reason why I am in the LCMS, why I'm very proud to be an LCMS pastor, is because in this Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have called one person who strives for this for all of us. This is the job of our synodical president, to be in constant conversation with other church bodies seeking unity. This is why I'm a part of this church, is because we believe, teach, and confess, and hold true, and hold firm to what we believe. It is very rare that you see an LCMS Christian waiver. We have a lot to be proud of, but that doesn't mean that we get to be lazy. That doesn't mean that we cannot strive, we don't have to strive for unity. Because the reality is, is that Satan is at work. And he is not this big, terrifying beast, but a liar. He loves division. He hates unity. He strives for the opposite of what our God calls us to do. Because Christ did not die for for you and for me alone, but for all people. And Satan seeks to get into the midst of that truth and break it up. And so we, as the church, as the invisible church of God, must strive to call all people to faith. All people, ourselves included, our neighbors, because we must realize and internalize that Christ did not just die for us Christians, us even white Americans, but for all people. That Christ has died for the Jew and for the Muslim, Christ has died for the believer and the unbeliever, for the American, the Mexican, the Afghani, the Englishman. It doesn't matter who they are. Christ has died for them. And it's not just for us right now, but for all people, for all time, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and into eternity. We live in the unity of the power and the love of Christ that is shown from a cross and an empty tomb. And it's around this that we unify. Amen?
Amen.